0: This episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money all around the world. I lived overseas for many years, and one of the biggest bottlenecks to international living is money transfers. You want to withdraw money from an ATM to access funds from your American bank account, and you don't realize you're getting hit with a $10 charge every single time you do that. Yeah, that did happen to me. So if you're dining in dollars or want to do business in baht, what a WISE account does is let you send, spend, and receive money in different currencies. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. This goes from a night out at a tapas bar in Spain to buying a property in the Yucatan. So if you're a digital nomad in Bali or want to sell money back to mom, it's simple. And this is all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. Wise works in over 160 countries, so your money's always at your fingertips. And over half of the transfers get their destination in less time than it takes to listen to this app. Join 16 million customers and learn how a Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com unplugged. That's wise.com unplugged. One more time, wise.com unplugged. Welcome to the History Unplugged podcast, the unscripted show that celebrates unsung heroes, myth busts historical lies, and rediscovers the forgotten stories that changed our world. I'm your host, Scott Rank. Hi, everyone. Welcome to one of those in-between episodes where I answer any question that you have about history. Today's question comes to us from James Early, James is a history fanatic, and I know this because he moderates the Facebook group American History Fanatics, which is one of the most engaged online history groups I've been a part of. And I recommend you checking it out if you're on Facebook. James has a question about hand-to-hand fighting in the military. He asks, how much training in hand-to-hand fighting did U.S. Army and Marine, if you wish, Troops get through our history, comparing soldiers of different wars from the Revolutionary Era up to the Civil War, World War I, World War II, and down to the present. James has a practical reason for asking this question. He's been running a fight tournament on what would happen if all 45 U.S. presidents got in a fight who would win. He's bracketed it down NCAA March Madness style, and in our discussion of who would win, say, John Adams versus John Quincy Adams, Martin Van Buren versus James K. Polk, Dwight Eisenhower versus Abe Lincoln. One of the first questions we ask each other is Was that president in the military? Because then you would have combat experience. But then we start to drill down and ask Well, okay, maybe George Washington was in the military, but how much hand to hand combat training would he really have compared to a more modern president like Dwight Eisenhower? that's an interesting question. It's a practical question for our purposes. And that's something I'm going to delve into today. And for the information, I'd like to thank the Revolutionary War Archives and T.P. Krant, who wrote an article about this on the history of U.S. military hand-to-hand programs. Now let's look at how hand-to-hand fighting evolved through military history. Hand-to-hand can refer to, you know, fist-to-fist without any weapons, but it also can refer to when you're within arm's reach of another person and you have a simple weapon such as a sword, a pike, or a bayonet at the edge of your weapon in order to fight. Hand-to-hand fighting became important for Europe in the 16th and 17th century. This is the time when European powers are starting to consolidate into large states. They're leaving the Middle Ages and small little kingdoms, And they needed to field large, well-trained, standing armies where you have large infantries. And you have to be able to train a man from no combat experience to be able to hold his own in a battle in the space of a few months. Up until about the 16th century, the common weapon was a pike. It was a spear-like weapon as a basic infantry weapon. This came to be replaced with the firearm. Original firearms were primitive and they were fired by touching a lit fuse, and required a great deal of time to load. So you'd have a pikeman who would protect a musketeer as he was loading his weapon. Over 100 years or so, the firing mechanism was invented, which relied on a spark produced by a flint striking a steel plate to fire the weapon. And in 1642, we have a pivotal year for hand-to-hand combat, and that is the first mention of the bayonet. They were quite simply nothing more than daggers, whose handle was modified to be inserted down the barrel of a musket. But what they did was resolve the vulnerability of the musketeer in close quarter combat. In 1671, a Frenchman invented the socket bayonet. It was a foot-long spear-like device that employed a metal sleeve which slipped over the end of the barrel. This allowed the musket to perform its firing function along with that of a traditional pike. That way, an infantryman could fire his weapon but also perform hand-to-hand combat when he was out of ammo or didn't have enough time to reload. What this did was relegate the pikemen to the pages of history. There were no longer people on the battlefield whose only job was to perform hand-to-hand combat. Now everyone, ideally at least, had some type of weapon. What that would mean on a battlefield is that you would use linear tactics, where musketmen were lined up in ranks, usually three ranks, Or one rank would fire, and then the other one would come forward and fire, and then the third one would come over and fire as the other two ranks were reloading. So the standing ranks would trade volleys with one another, and then they would come together usually and try to capture the battlefield at bayonet point. So bayonet fencing was a big part of battlefield tactics, especially around the Revolutionary War era. But as firearms evolve, the importance of hand-to-hand combat decreased with the U.S. military. The Napoleonic Wars were probably the last great hurrah for hand-to-hand combat in Western warfare. Troops armed with muskets would formation march through artillery fire into position where they could unload volleys of fire into the enemy, and then when the enemy wavered, they would charge with their bayonets fixed to finish the battle. This was around the same time approximately of the French-Indian Wars, the American Revolution, and the War of 1812, where we see our first wars to feature organized bodies of American troops— So our friend George Washington and a lot of the early presidents who had some sort of military experience would be familiar with bayonet fencing when it came to -to hand-to-hand combat. They probably wouldn't do a lot of trading of just fist-to-fist. If you were a soldier, if you had to use your fist, you were in a terrible situation. That would be really a last resort situation because if you lost your weapon, you were either completely incompetent or completely desperate. But around this time, while close combat was an important part of battles, formation marching and firing drills were the most important taught skills of soldiering, and hand-to-hand training was limited to basic bayonet drills and bayonet fencing. By the time we get up to the American Civil War, the U.S. Army had adopted the French manual for bayonet fencing. And it was translated by a young captain named George McClelland, who would go on to become general in chief of all Union forces in the Civil War for a brief time. But these bayonet fencing skills went mostly unused in the Civil War as rifled barrels had increased the range and accuracy of firearms to the point where the massed fire of units was so effective and devastating The armies really didn't have much of a chance to close the distance and still be in effective fighting condition. Hand-to-hand fighting in the Civil War was far less frequent than in previous wars because of the improvement in firearms. Bayonet, sword, and other melee weapons accounted for a tiny percentage of casualties in war. But of course, the hand-to-hand fighting that did happen in the Civil War was no less intense than previous wars. So the American Civil War can be considered a period where the military technology surpasses the dominant tactical and strategic wisdom of the day. Clever commanders and people who are experts in cavalry like Nathan Bedford Forrest were able to adapt their plans, but the overall strategic thinking in the military evolved very slowly. This problem became compounded in World War I. One of the many reasons the war was so tragic is that there was a mismatch between battlefield tactics and the weapons used. Doing a charge when you have a machine gun on the other side of you mowing down troops is part of the reason so many soldiers were killed. Automatic weapons dramatically increased the firepower of units, but again, the tactical and strategic thinking remained in the 1800s. The resulting style of warfare consisted of the attackers leaving their trenches and closing the distance to the enemy's trenches, enduring machine gun, artillery, and other small small arms fire. The survivors of crossing no man's land would then engage the defenders of the enemy trench in hand-to-hand combat until one side broke and ran. A president like Harry S. Truman, who fought in World War I, might encounter something like this. I think Truman was a captain at this time, so I don't know how much hand-to-hand combat he actually saw, but he would definitely be familiar with it. Now, it was an extremely bloody and horrible method of fighting, and combat in the trenches was savage. This is where the American military begins to adapt new techniques in their training and they begin to focus on hand-to-hand combat without necessarily having a weapon on your person. Judo and traditional jiu techniques had been known to the U.S. for some time. Theodore Roosevelt was actually a fan of Judo. I believe that he was one of the first Americans to get the brown belt in Judo. He trained with either the ambassador from Japan to the U.S. or one of the people attached to the Japanese embassy. And when I have a discussion with James about presidents fighting each other, Teddy is definitely going to come up in that conversation. So there were some troops who received lessons in judo and also standard boxing and wrestling, but this was only to the select troops that received specialized melee training. During World War II, draftees in the U.S. Army received some basic bayonet drills, boxing, and wrestling instruction. Elite troops would receive more specialized training, but the relative emphasis on close combat was low for the average soldier after basic training. After World War II, during the occupation of several Eastern nations— U.S. soldiers became more exposed to martial arts like judo and karate, and these soldiers returning back to the U.S. were instrumental in bringing them to the U.S. in larger numbers than before. These soldiers also brought tiki culture, so the Mai Tai and Pigros and Luau's also come to the U.S. after World War II, thanks to all those brave men and women who served in the Pacific Theater. But something that really emphasized the importance of close-quarter combat was the Vietnam War. This is where a revamp of the US hand-to-hand program was needed. In the decades following Vietnam, the commanders in the US military began to reevaluate close combat training. In the late 80s, Marine Ron Don Vito began developing what became the Line Combat System. Line would evolve into different systems and disappear in the 90s, but Don Vito laid down the basic principles of the modern combatives program. He studied a variety of martial arts and adapted techniques that fit certain criteria. The moves had to be able to be performed by a soldier wearing full combat gear, on bad terrain, with extreme fatigue, and it must result in the death of the enemy. Don Vito also made grappling the first aspect of hand-to-hand combat soldiers would learn in their training. The resulting system was one that resembled jiu-jitsu and judo-inspired programs that was taught to elite forces in the early 1900s. In nineteen ninety-four, the entire military began to design a new program, and the name Rorian Gracie was brought to those in charge of examining the process. Many members of the elite military units had trained under Rorian, who is a legend in UFC circles and Jiu Jitsu. He and the Gracie family brought the army a curriculum of thirty six basic self defense moves to form the foundation of the new Combatives program. So nowadays, hand-to-hand combat is taught extensively throughout the military. And if you're a fan of UFC, there are plenty of Marines who you'll see in the octagon. Military can almost be like a feeder system into the UFC. So all that to say, amongst different presidents who fought in the U.S. military, there is a definite evolution. Those soldiers who fought in the Revolutionary War and in the War of 1812 up to the Civil War would have been familiar with hand-to-hand combat. It would have been more of the bayonet variety where they received formal instruction. Your worst hand-to-hand fighter would have been around the Civil War and including World War I unless they were special forces. Once you get past World War II, in the Vietnam, especially in the modern era, that's where your modern soldier could pulverize most any soldier from a previous era. Well, James, thank you so much for the question. If any of you would like to submit one to me, you can do so by going to Podcast.com. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the History Unplugged Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get your daily dose of all things history-related from ancient Greece to the Cold War. You can do that by going to historyonthenet.com forward slash subscribe. Speaking of history on the net... If you want to dive deeper, go to our site, historyonthenet.com, and there you'll find blog posts, book reviews, and all of our other podcast episodes. Plus, don't forget to rate and review this podcast so we can bring you the best daily history content possible. We'll see you next time at the History Unplugged podcast.
2: 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW reporting for prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.